Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about an important topic and a question that I often get and I got from a parent who had asked me to actually do this podcast episode, so thank you for that. And that is, when should we consider inpatient treatment for OCD? And I wanted to make it a two-parter. If we are going inpatient or we're doing intensive programs, what should we know about after, right? Because sometimes we don't think about what to do after. And there are some important things to remember to do so that all that success and that skill building doesn't start to fall and crumble. So before we get started, though, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I also want to mention that my new course, Crushing OCD Class for Kids and Teens, is now open and available. And so if you have a child or teenager and you want to give them the tools themselves or you want to have it in your back pocket, you can check out my course, which walks kids through all the things that I teach kids in my therapy practice. And you can check that out at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. I got classes for you guys too, so that you know what to do as a parent. But this is a new course that has been asked for for a couple of years. And I finally decided to do it and do it well invited 12 kids and teens to join me to teach it so that um, kids will listen because they'll listen to peers more than they'll listen to us, right? So let's talk about inpatient treatment for OCD. And I think it's important just to educate you briefly on the different layers of treatment options. And you have your outpatient therapy, you know, you're just meeting once a week, twice a week, every other week at whatever level for your regular outpatient therapy. And then You can do intensive therapy, so maybe you're still meeting with an outpatient therapist, but you're doing some intensive work, and so maybe you're meeting a couple of times a week to just really supercharge progress and and getting that help, and then it can go up from there. So the levels of care continue to go upward, and there's lots of things in between depending on what program you're using, but there's also intensive outpatient, and so an intensive outpatient program, also known as an IOP can look different. So we have these names for things, but what it means sometimes can look very different depending on the program that you're using. But IOP is normally an intensive program, but you're still living at home. And so an intensive outpatient program might be even on Zoom. You might have an IOP that you're meeting once a day on Zoom, or it might mean that you are going to a facility six hours a day for a very intense period of time for a few weeks or a, you know a month and a half whatever like i said they can be very different depending on the program and so there's no particular definition of this is what an iop is and then moving from there you have residential treatment residential treatment you are living there and they are going to be doing intensive therapeutic work with your child or your teenager 
for a given period of time. And sometimes insurance gets in the way of this because it can be very, very, very expensive. And so, you know, a lot of times there's a little bit of a battle with the insurance or it's just, it's financially really, really tricky unless your insurance covers it. But that just really catapults treatment where, you know, your child is just surrounded by this team who's going to help them do exposures, understand how to tackle their OCD. And that is residential treatment. There is also hospitalization, which is different because sometimes our kids are a danger to themselves or others, more often than not themselves, if they're going to be a danger to someone. And, and so they might need to be hospitalized. And so you might go to like a psychiatric hospital. And normally that stay is from three to seven days. And that is really just to keep someone safe. And so I want to talk about the nuances of all of this, because I think when you're a parent and you're in crisis, you can really get caught in the weeds of all this, and it can be very, very overwhelming. And so even if you are not remotely close to having to deal with any of this, thank goodness for you. This is just good information to have, not a scary thing, but like if my house is burning, you know, the fact that I know where the fire extinguisher is before all that happens is really helpful because I'm going to go on autopilot. I'm going to go and I'm going to grab it. And if I didn't know where it was or how to use it, then things would burn up a lot quicker and I I would feel much more overwhelmed. And so this is kind of your fire extinguisher, you know, learn what the stuff is. Hopefully you'll never have to use it. If you are considering it and you're in the thick of things, I might say something that you didn't know before, and that might be helpful. And if you've already been through this and you're about to be discharged, this can be really helpful as well to know what to do. So there is no perfect rule of thumb as far as when should my child go into inpatient or when should they go into intensive outpatient? A lot of it just depends on your child's perception of the issue, your perception of the issue, and objectively how it's impacting their ability to function. And so for me, and everyone's pain point of where they're going to say, okay, we need to get deeper help, it's going to be different. If my child was showing any impact in their inability to do daily stuff, And so if they were not able to leave the house at all, if they were, if their OCD was so bad, they were not able to leave the house, I would be looking for inpatient treatment. This is me, right? This is like me talking as a parent because there is no right or wrong. This is just what feels right for you and what feels like what you need. If my child wasn't able to go to school because of OCD, I would want inpatient. Like I really, (laughs) if, if my child was not able to function on any level, I would, I would want to go inpatient. And I'm going to talk about this in a little while. After the break, I'm going to talk about why we want to be very particular about what inpatient treatment program we are sending our kids, because I'm saying that I would send my kids to inpatient if these were the things that were happening. However, I wouldn't send them anywhere. And so I will talk after we take a break about what things I would look for and what things I think are important. But I always say this, maybe you've heard me say this before, but OCD is like termites, like one or two termites is too much for me. And so if my house is starting to fall down, I am not going to wait until the entire foundation crumbles. I'm going to want to get support. Now, if your child is resistant to treatment and you're like, how am I even going to get them there? And that is a whole nother story because that becomes an issue in and of itself. You can always try intensive outpatient. And I feel like IOP could be a good step before residential treatment, but there are times where you just have to skip that step and go right into residential treatment. 
And I'll talk later about hospitalization and the difference and why I would, for me and my kids, I would avoid that unless there was a danger to self or others. And it was really necessary because there are times where our kids are in such a state that they're not safe. And then we need to really find a place that will make sure that they're safe, but it's not treatment. So, you know, going into a psychiatric hold, you know, for three to seven days or a hospital is very, very, very different than going into a residential program that specializes in OCD and is going to walk your child through how to handle OCD. Hospitals don't do that typically, like a quick psychiatric hospital stay that's like three to seven days. Normally it's on the shorter end of the spectrum. That's not their job. Their job is there really just to do damage control, just make sure that your child is safe. And again, every place is different. So I'm speaking in generalities, but there are outliers. There's different scenarios that this is not true for. So the first step is looking at your child's severity. And I really feel like you don't need a therapist to confirm the severity. It's always very helpful. We always want that support. But I'm saying, trust your parent gut. Like if you're like, oh my gosh, this is spinning way out of control, trust your gut. And you know when it's too far gone. Now, my son, a couple of years ago, and I've talked about this before, had a time where he was losing so much weight because of his PANS-related OCD and his ARFID, which is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, that he was not eating. And I had to go to a gastro pediatric doctor and, you know, try to go that route too. And he was saying he's so underweight that if he doesn't gain weight, he'll have to be G-tubed. Now, if we progressed in that realm where he needed to be G-tubed, then inpatient treatment would have been, a residential treatment would have been something I considered at that point. Because, you know, when your, your health is at risk, that's a problem. If your child is spending six or seven hours a day in the shower or in the bathroom, or if everything in your house is contaminated, they can only sit on one area. These are all, to me, so severe that I would want to get my child into residential treatment. And I know that seems like a really scary step. And so some parents go for the intensive outpatient first to see if that can make progress. But with OCD, first of all, we have this little window in the sense that they're only children for a certain period of time. Once they're 18, we really don't get a say in what they do or how they do it. And we do have more leeway when they're minors as far as sending them to a residential treatment program or sending them up for intensive outpatient. Once they're 18, you lose that. I remember when my daughter, who actually just turned 19, when she turned 18, like I went to go get medical records for her and my 10 and 12-year-old, who are soon to be 11 and 13, and I couldn't get hers. Like all of a sudden she had these rights, you know, she's an adult. Um, I couldn't access that. And so that was annoying for her because she was like, "Ugh, now I have to go in there and get it. But you just lose a lot of those rights, which is normal because they're young adults at that point. But when it comes to treatment, you lose a lot of ability to make things happen as well. And so we have this window of time, but it's this balancing act because we don't want to get so anxious about it and overwhelmed that we are like really pulling them into treatment options that they're not ready for. And so you might have to do some baby steps to get them ready. And there are times where you have to really push it a little bit. And I know that that's tricky and it just depends on where you're at and also where you live, because there's a lot of places that don't have residential treatment options. Um, I know in the UK and Australia, I think even in Canada, I don't know how many residential treatment options there are, if any, and maybe I'm just not aware of it, but I know that I have so many parents 
from the UK, Australia, and Canada who are in my AD parenting community. And they're in my membership community because they don't have access to any of that support. They can't get their kids to a place like that because it doesn't exist in their area. They have to do something. And so they're left doing it on their own, which isn't impossible. But if my child is stuck in a bedroom, or if my child is, everything is contaminated in the house, or they are doing rituals so many hours a day, I would want to get them very, very ongoing, in-depth help. You know, something that they're doing for hours and hours a day. So when we return after the break, I want to talk about where I would send my child and where I wouldn't send my child. And I also want to talk to those of you that are possibly coming out of a higher level of care, whether it is intensive outpatient or it is residential care and what to know about what to do after that, because sometimes they don't tell you. So we'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do, so we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP-trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's a nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Welcome back. So I want to talk about what type of treatment programs we want to look for with our kids who have OCD, and then we'll get into what to do when they discharge. But it's really important that we send them to the right place. Because often we get one shot at this and if it's a bad experience, 
not only is it a waste of money and it doesn't help, but it sets a stage for their lifetime that says treatment is bad. Treatment was not helpful. Treatment was a waste of my time or or even treatment was traumatizing. And the last thing I would want to do for my kids is send them to a place where not only was it not going to help, but it was actually going to sabotage any future help they might want to get. So it is a really important decision. And I would be particular because it's so sad to me how in this world, OCD in the mental health world or the mental health field is just not understood. And I don't understand why. It just boggles my mind that OCD, which is highly prevalent, and a lot of our kids are going through it, is not understood by therapists, by treatment programs. Thank gosh for the International OCD Foundation and the work that they do and all the OCD advocates out there and the work that they do in disseminating appropriate information. I don't know what I would do without the IOCDF and me linking articles when people online debate with me, like what is OCD or what is someone was debating with me the other day of what is an intrusive thought? Oh, and they had such a view on OCD that was scary. And I can't handle that. That just causes me so much stress when I'm I'm faced with the ignorance and, and not only the ignorance, but the lack of desire to learn you know, a little bit of knowledge, but not the full enchilada is a scary thing because they think they know what they're talking about and they don't. And unfortunately, I find that in a lot of therapists who don't know much about OCD, don't get trained by, you know, people in the community that are the go-to experts in that, like the IOCDF and create therapy environments that are really not conducive to treating OCD and actually can make it worse. So with that being said, Just because it's a treatment program or just because it's a therapist doesn't mean they know how to treat OCD. And I want to go with the evidence-based programs that I know are going to be used evidence-based approaches. And so I would be very, very careful. I have worked in my earlier days. I feel like I've had multiple nine lives. (laughs) I've had a really weird life. You know, I used to work on Wall Street. Isn't that weird? Um, I wasn't doing anything exciting, but I used to work in the Twin Towers. Uh, Well, there was four of them, and I worked in the smaller version of the Twin Towers and worked for Merrill Lynch in human resources as an assistant. I served my time. I've been all over the place. But in my early days of getting out of school, I worked in a treatment program, and it was really, really rough. I would never, ever send my kids there because it was violent the therapy wasn't good. Even though I was a therapist there, we were understaffed. And I know in my life, my father was severely mentally ill. He's no longer with me. Bipolar, psychosis. And I've had a sibling who was in psychiatric institutions. And I've been in a lot of facilities. I guess that's my point. My father was in and out of psych hospitals my entire life. And my sibling as well, a couple of times. And so I firsthand saw it as a family member. And And then I worked in a treatment center at one point too. And that was not for OCD. None of those were for OCD. And that is my point. I would never, ever want to send anybody to the facilities that I went to and that I experienced or that I worked at because they were really scary places for me. And even if you have a really good facility, if they're not trained in OCD and not like, oh, I'm going to list all the things that we cover and we treat and OCD is like number 20 on there. That's not where I'm going to send my child because OCD is a very particular disorder that requires a very particular approach. And if they're not going to do ERP, exposure with response prevention, which is a type of CBT, and they don't know that, 
They don't know what it is. Um, I'm okay if they do ERP and then they also do ACT, acceptance commitment therapy or ICBT, you know, whatever other ancillary approaches they want to throw out there. But the core for me is my, I want ERP and I want to know that they understand that. Um, and I don't want them to treat OCD like it's anxiety or anxiety like it's OCD. Like they're not interchangeable. And I need you to know that before I send my kid there because I'm going to give up a lot for you to have my child for a few weeks or a month in a residential treatment program or even an IOP where, you know, we're going to be spending five to six hours a day maybe with you. I want to make sure that you're going to be giving my child some good information. And I have gone to an OCD therapist and did not feel good about what they were teaching my kid. And so sometimes even when they have all the credentials, I'm still like, I need to know my mama gut isn't going to start to blare the horns of the alarm and say, get back in your car. So the places that I would recommend, and I'm not saying that these are the only places, but I'm saying these are the places that I would send my kids if God forbid we are going to need that. And I don't know. I mean, I hope that that's not the case, but I'm also a realist and, you know, I only focus on today, (laughs) not tomorrow. And so today is a good day and we're doing okay and everything's okay. But if I ever needed to send my child or a family member anywhere, the first place I always would look is Rogers, Rogers Memorial Hospital. They specialize in OCD. They specialize in a couple of other things as well, you know, OCD and a lot of other things, but they are my go-to treatment option for OCD. Unfortunately, they're in the United States. So if you're outside of the United States, I don't know of other treatment centers. So everything I'm going to be talking about is United States specific. And I apologize for that. For those in the UK, because I know I have quite a few listeners in the UK, you can always go to ocduk.org. That's kind of my go-to resource for the UK. I don't know of an equivalent in Australia, so I apologize, or Canada. But going back to Rogers, and their website is (laughs) rogersbh.org. They are not sponsoring this episode, but they should. But I just like to share with you good resources, like resources where I would go and I would feel safe and I would feel good. Rogers has locations all over the country. Their main one is in Wisconsin. And I've been to that one for OCD training. And so I like the fact that I know what it looks like. I've walked around. I've had a tour. It looked like a nice college campus. I actually sent a couple of people in my practice to Rogers and they had really good experiences. And it was like a catapulted treatment, like years. I had one girl that went there and her OCD was just so severe. And then she went to Rogers and I didn't have anything to do when she got back. All I had to do was just maintenance. Now I know that's not going to be everybody's situation or experience, but having such a large platform online and being the global kind of go-to for pediatric OCD, often for parents, I hear a lot. I mean, I get a lot of feedback and there's a huge disproportionate amount of people that have incredible experiences with Rogers. And so that's where I would go and go to their website, rogersbh.org. They have locations all over the country and they also have intensive outpatient programs. So they have lots of different options. I'm hoping they'll eventually open one in Phoenix because I know Phoenix in particular is really lacking with their OCD treatment. And so hopefully one day that will happen. But there's not a lot of places I would trust with my little child. You know, if I was to send my 11-year-old or 12-year-old to a place to live, I wouldn't want it to look like the hospitals that I visited when my dad was inpatient at different places. And he was hospitalized at times, but he was also in treatment programs. And they both were really scary for me as a, a little kid to observe. 
And I didn't get that feeling at Rogers. It was just a really beautiful place and they did really beautiful things. But Rogers isn't the only place. I also hear really good things about McLean. That's also a great place where a lot of my colleagues in the OCD community have worked or are working or will probably work. And so they're another resource. I talked about Rogers first because I've been there and I've gotten trainings there. I just had a really warm, fuzzy feeling about it. McLean is just as good. People go there and get incredible treatment. And their website is mcleanhospital.org. It's M-C-L-E-A-N, like McLean, pronounced McLean. And they have one in Houston. So there's McLean, Houston, and they have one, I believe it's in Boston. And so you can check out theirs as well. And I feel like now that there is virtual, there's more of an acceptance of virtual. And there are a lot of states that are allowing licenses from other states. There's just a lot more blending going on in treatment in the United States for right now. And so a lot of these places might do virtual and you can research that and find that out. But those would be my two go-tos. There are other programs, but those are the most renowned for OCD. Those would be my first choices. And I feel like Rogers has so many locations. There would be a place that I would be able to send my child. Even if I got on a wait list, they have a lot of locations. And so that opens things up as well. So I would be very careful about sending them to a treatment center that doesn't specialize in OCD. And there aren't many that specialize in OCD. Another one I want to mention really quick is Bradley Hospital. And that one I'm not as familiar with, but I do have a parent who just raves about them and the work that they did with their child. And so I don't know all the programs. So Bradley Hospital, they do have an intensive program for OCD and their website is lifespan.org. And so you can check that out as well, because I have heard some positive feedback about that program as well. So what do you do when they come out? And that's another question. If you are able to get your child into treatment and so many parents talk about the crazy transformation that happens when they go into these intensive treatment programs, but when they come out, some parents have told me that they felt like the ball dropped. I can't speak for any particular program, but that is something that I hear a lot is there's no follow-up care. And that is too sad, you know, because Without that follow-up care, you're really not going to necessarily preserve all of the progress that you've made. And so sometimes I think parents leave an intensive program and then they're kind of like, now we're done, right? Like sometimes they even have a graduation and they're like, woohoo, you graduated, you're done. It's not like you just are in remission from cancer. It's something that you have to continue to work on and foster at home. You have to create a therapeutic home environment. And so some of the things I would say is one, don't depend on the program to tell you what to do afterwards. I have heard some feedback that there is not a lot of follow-up. There's not like someone who calls you and make sure that how are things going? You don't have like now an ongoing therapist. And I don't know how it works. Luckily, so far, I haven't been through it myself. I know I've been a therapist on the receiving end. And I know that Rogers has done a good job at reaching out to me. I'm not in practice anymore. I closed my practice after my husband died. Now I focus on you guys and I do global resources. But when I was in practice, I was impressed with how they would reach out to me and they would want to do some discharge planning and they would share their goals. And and so I know personally, I've had experience as a therapist where I was impressed that they actually try to reach out and they would reach out like a few weeks before discharge so that the ball would be rolling for this child. But I know there have been parents who have complained about different programs and maybe even Rogers, I don't know, because I'm not privy to that, but 
where they didn't feel like they got a lot of instruction. And I think as parents, we have to realize that it's not the responsibility of school, of the pediatrician, or even a treatment program to help our kids 24-7 for the rest of their lives. I mean, I feel like there is this thought in our head, you know, that says, you know, the school should do something for my child's OCD or this treatment program should do something. Now they're going to tell me. And I wish that was true, you know, but we have to go advocate at the schools and we have to go pick up the slack after treatment is over. And a lot of times there's just not enough therapists or there's not enough resources to make sure that everything is going well afterwards. And so that's why we have to do it. And so don't expect other people to do it. If they do it, it'll be like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. And if they don't, no harm, no foul. You didn't expect it. (laughs) You know. So the things that I would make sure is get your child into therapy. And if the program hasn't coordinated, which most of the time they do a good job of doing this, but sometimes, you know, that ball gets dropped. You want to get all the records from their intensive outpatient or their residential program get all the records. You can get access to all those records and they normally directly contact a therapist, but have a therapist in line and ready to go. And you want to pick a therapist that isn't like, Oh, I don't want to look at those. I want to start fresh. You need to look at those and pick up where treatment left off. Your child might say, you know, I've done so much. I just want to break. And I know that that is tempting because you feel like, Oh, it's just nice to have it over. And I just want to give my child some wiggle room to breathe. Let's just all recoup from that experience. And even though that is a very tempting thing to do, I would really discourage it because your child just went into an intensive program for OCD. They obviously needed it. And they were at that level where it was more important than school or curricular activities or family. It was more important than anything. And it should be because OCD can, you know, knock you off your feet and really impact your life in a really harmful way. But now that they've experienced that and they've gotten help for that, there should be no break. <laughs> you know, and I know that sounds horrible, but no break. You need to get right back into to treatment. You need to get right into a, another therapist and get in your groove so that you can not drop that ball. And it, it might be nice to even do a Zoom call while you are still in treatment so that you are overlapping a little bit. And even in a perfect, crazy unicorn and butterflies world, you know, you have both therapists do a Zoom call with you to coordinate and transfer over services. That'd be amazing. You know, if you could have your inpatient or your program therapist on a call with your ongoing outpatient therapist to talk about all the things that you learn in treatment and things that you're going to continue to do, that would be ideal. And you don't want to stop doing exposures. ERP is the bread and butter of getting better for OCD. And that should be part of your routine coming back. So don't forget to ask, what will this look like at home? How often should we be doing exposures? Let's connect with a therapist. Because what I have found is that the old habits start to happen again. Because if they're living in a residential treatment program and they come back home, everything at home is still where it was before they went to treatment. And so if they thought certain things were contaminated or they had certain behavior, avoidant behavior, where they would only wear certain outfits or they wouldn't touch that bedroom or they wouldn't use certain dishes, even though they've learned all the skills and they've generalized them in the treatment program, if they haven't been at home, they haven't done that in the house. And so you want to start doing that in the house when they come home to generalize all the good things that happened while they were away. And don't be afraid to reach out to the therapist you know, from the treatment program and get some support and say, I'm struggling with this, 
or are there support groups to help me? And sometimes programs will have support groups for those that have graduated to support them. A lot of parents join my community and say, we need some ongoing support. And so who's on your support team long-term and find what that is. It might mean, you know, an online community like mine at AT Parenting Community to say, now we're out of treatment or like intensive treatment. And now I have people who can support me. And I have a support group that I can go to once a month on Zoom. And my kids can go to a support group and I'm going to connect them to other kids. We have a buddy program. And so, you know, I'm going to connect them to other kids who have OCD. I'll tell you that in my community, we actually just did our Zoom calls yesterday. We do them once a month and we do them one for parents, one for kids, and one for teens. I can tell which kids and teens have been in intensive treatment programs because they speak differently. They give really good advice. (laughs) I love them in my groups because you could tell everything they say is like so therapeutic and so accurate. And so they're a great asset to all the other kids who are not understanding why trying to distract yourself from your OCD thoughts is not going to be helpful. It's great for them to move into that role of leadership to be like, and actually we had a kid yesterday who was saying, I just got out of a six-week intensive outpatient program and I could tell, and I think he was probably about 11, and I could tell because of the way that he was talking and the way that he was almost mentoring the other kids. And so putting them in that role, they're going to get support as well, but also feeling that empowerment of, I know a lot and I'm helping other people can be very, very helpful. When we give back and put them in a leadership role at whatever level they're comfortable, that can be helpful. Another one, which is, this just came to me that could be helpful is if your child is in treatment, there is an organization called Not Alone Notes, and they mail these free handwritten notes to people with OCD, and they can mail them to your house, or they can mail them to a treatment center, and they're anonymous. It just comes, you know, it's just like an inspiring little note. And so if your child is away, go to notalonenotes.org, notalonenotes.org, and you know, have some notes sent to them. I know I sent one to a relative of mine and didn't say that it was coming from me. And, and they were so touched. They were like, I got this note, mom, and I don't know who sent this. You know, and it was, it was nice. And it's an adult relative of mine. So it's not just for kids. But also when they're not in treatment or when they leave residential care, what a great thing for them to write notes to other people. And so you can volunteer and you can write notes. And I don't know exactly how that works, but I would reach out to them and connect because it is really helpful to give back. And you might say, well, my child is, you know, they've been through a lot. I don't know if helping out or or like volunteering or doing something is the right time, but you'll be surprised at how therapeutic it is to help other people and how to give back. It actually helps ourselves. And so that is another thing that I would say is when people identify with being better and they identify with getting help and they start to advocate for other people, then they actually live that truth, if that makes sense. Like me doing this podcast and talking to you about all these things tends to make me a better mom to kids with OCD because I feel like I have to live my truth. Otherwise, it doesn't feel good. I feel like I'm a hypocrite. And sometimes I actually do. But a lot of times, you know, I'll do a podcast episode of like, why you should be doing exposures all the time. And then I'll get off. And that day I'll say, you guys, we have to start doing exposures more (laughs) because I don't want to live in a hypocritical state where that's not my truth. You know, I'm spouting something that's not true. When you put yourself in there to help other people, you do help yourself. 
So I hope in general that you have found this episode informative and helpful, got some resources there under your belt in case you need them. Maybe some of you need them right away. Some of you have them in case, and some of you maybe are coming out of this and got some information on what to do afterwards, which can be really important or save this episode and just have it, you know how to reach me, you know, I mean, you know how to find my podcast. So just know that it's here for you if you ever need it. And hopefully you won't, but it's not a bad thing. I would rather my child spend six weeks or eight weeks in a treatment center. And I don't know. I mean, I think that would be really a long period of time if insurance would pay for it, but I'd much rather have them miss a little bit of seventh grade or eighth grade and get all those skills for a lifetime than not have that intensive treatment. And then in their twenties become so debilitated, they can't even function. Like I rather do it while they're a kid and they don't have a family. They don't have kids. They don't have a partner. They don't have a job they have to go to. Like, yes, school's important, but mental health is more important. And that's my soapbox and I'm staying on top of it. So I hope that you find this podcast episode helpful. I hope that you're finding the podcast helpful in general. If you are, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcasts. I appreciate that. If you have a few extra moments and you can write a review, you know I love that. And I love it so much that if I find one, I like to read it. So I want to thank Han uh, Vanderhart for writing So Helped by this podcast. I started listening as a parent with anxiety to help my 10-year-old who is hyper-articulate about their school worries and moods. Lo and behold, Natasha has helped me reframe the migraines and chronic nausea of my 8-year-old. We had been seeing a neurologist. I also have migraines. My whole family does. But the chronic nausea at night and in the mornings just didn't seem to fit in anywhere. My eight-year-old is also sound noise sensitive and has never been able to swallow certain foods. They're a sunshine child though and so cheerful and so I never considered them to have anxiety before. I think COVID hitting right when they were supposed to start kindergarten really affected them. We stayed home for a year and did remote school and the optional masking is really hard for them. Anyway, really comforted and held by your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to write that. I really appreciate that. And maybe if you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle and everything you do. You know, I'm going to say that. But I also want to mention, don't forget to check out my new course. If you are looking for tools for your child to help themselves, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com and I'll be back next Tuesday. Don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. I feel like I have to say that last. Maybe that's a compulsion. I'll have to think about that. (laughs) Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 